Well, good morning, church. How is everybody? We're good? Amen, amen. One or two of you are glad to be here. I'm just kidding. Really, really thankful you're here this morning. Um, if you are here for the very first time, I want to say welcome to you. We're really glad you're here, um, the Porch Community Church. Um, if you happen to be watching online as well, we're glad you are here. So we are in a series. We're in week six of a series in the book of Acts. Um, we've been walking through uh, the book of Acts, uh, which is the story of the early days of the church, um, just after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. It's the, it's the, it's the story of the, the rapid growth of the early first century church. And so last week, we kind of looked at um, what the early church gatherings kind of looked like in uh, the latter part of Acts chapter 2. Uh, verses 42 through 47, where it gives kind of the template of how the church should look. And it really doesn't look anything like the, the average Sunday morning gathering, other than, than the fact that we pray and then we, we uh, sing. And, you know, it, you know, I'm not saying that we're doing it wrong, but I, I, what it was for me was a challenge to get back to simple church, to get back to what I feel like the heart of the gathering of the body of Christ ought to look like. We, we, you know, we share meals together, right? We, um, we, we talk, we do life together. We pray, of course. We sing songs. We, we, we uh, give to those in need in the community and, and inside and outside the community. All those things are important. And so to me, it was just kind of a good reminder of what the church ought to look like, amen, outside the walls of this church. So hopefully that was a great encouragement to you. Uh, so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. Uh, so if you want, if you have a Bible, we'll go ahead and turn there to Acts chapter 3. So um, last week we celebrated Pentecost, all right? Pentecost, uh, the, the beginning of chapter 2 in Acts, uh, was this massive event where the Holy Spirit enters the world uh, to dwell in mankind for the very first time. Now the Holy Spirit's always been there and been around, um, even in the first chapters of Genesis, it says the Spirit was moving over the waters, right? The Spirit was in, uh, integrally involved in creation and, and, and has been all throughout the Old Testament and in the New especially. But something happened in that day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago or so that really changed everything for the church. It was the, the moment where the, the Spirit came to dwell in God's people. Now, that hadn't happened before. So now the Holy Spirit is the glue of the church. The Holy Spirit is now the glue of the church, right? A denomination is not the glue, right? Obviously, Jesus is the glue. But the Spirit of God, who is God, is one of the three persons, right, in the Trinity. He is the glue because he takes two people that could be vastly different, two different backgrounds, nothing in common, and put them together in harmony and fellowship and brotherhood and make them family. Amen? That, the only place that can happen is in the church. I'm not going to hang out with people that aren't like me. I don't know about you. I just, you don't, I don't. We don't, we like to, we gravitate towards people that are kind of like us or at least we jive with. Well, the Holy Spirit in the best way causes us to jive with people on the deepest spiritual level, right? If you have the Spirit of God, I have the Spirit of God, you're my brother. 
I'm your brother. You're my sister. Right? We are the church. And that's so the Spirit coming at Pentecost changed everything. And it, it can't be understated. All right? So thank God for Pentecost. Amen? Right? So um, last week we read in Acts, 20, uh, Acts 2.43 that many signs and wonders were done among the believers. Right? So here's what we want to we get to this today. Acts 3, we want to focus on a, a, a particular instance where Peter and John encountered a, a, a man who had a disability, and uh, we, we want to look at that encounter today. So before we do that, can we pray real quick and just ask God to just take over the proceedings here? Can we do that? Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help to understand. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so turn with me to Acts 3. If you're there, we're going to go ahead and read uh, the first few verses, and it reads like this. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver and gold... I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him, Walking, they were, they were amazed. They recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So we have this encounter. And of course, you and I, who maybe you grew up in the church and you've heard these stories of Jesus and his uh, apostles healing people, right? To us... No big deal. We, we've, we've heard it. Maybe we haven't seen it. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I want to break down this passage because I, I think something important is going on here for us today. So first of all, Peter and John encounter this man with a disability, okay? Obviously, he, he was sat there every day, day after day. He was waiting. Actually, he was looking for people to, you know, throw money at him, right? Because well, why would he do that? Well, the man did not expect to be healed physically. Right? The, the, the best he could hope for would be to get some money to make life a little easier for him, correct? That, that would be the best he could hope for, is someone to throw him some change and so he could make it through the day. All right? But something amazing happens. It, the encounter, is, is, to me, is astounding because he's sitting there and he, he asks them for Peter and John for money as they go in, and of course they say, look, look at me. Peter says, look at me, look. 
Look into my eyes. He said, I don't have money, but what I give you, what I do have, I give you. That's so powerful. What I do have, I give you. I don't have money, but I have something way better that I want to give you today. So break down the scene. This is where they were um, outside this gate called Beautiful, the Beautiful Gate. And so Jewish historian Josephus describes this gate on the Temple Mount. Um, there, are, there are remnants of these gates, these massive, I mean, they were, they were huge. And there are, there are remnants of them still there um, on the Temple Mount in, in Jerusalem. But this gate was made of fine brass. It was 75 feet high. It had a huge, it two huge double doors, and it was so beautiful that um, it greatly excelled uh, it, 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 people's imagination. It was covered with silver and gold. So naturally, this is an, a good place, obviously, for him to be sitting, the, 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 the lame man. But also, like, people were in and out of there all the time because this is a place where people gathered. The, the early church gathered here to pray and to worship. I love where in verse 6 it says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. And then he says something that's really important that will kind of, kind of guide us through the rest of today. He says what? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now this is a phrase that we throw around in the church, but we're not real sure what power it holds other than the fact that it has Jesus' name in it. But I want to I focus on that a little bit today. And so, Peter and John, obviously, this man is healed on the spot, right? And so, he, they help him up. He goes and, and starts walking, dancing, jumping, praising God, and all the people are in awe of what happened, all right? So, the rest of the story is interesting because now, all these people that are watching, Peter has an, has an captive audience. And so he takes an opportunity to share the gospel with them. So let's read beginning in verse 11 here. This is what it says in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astounded and came running to them in the place they called Solomon's Colonnade. Solomon's Colonnade. Some, some versions say Solomon's Porch. If, 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 this is where we got our original name from as a, as a, as a ministry out, out of First United Methodist Church. We called ourselves Solomon's Porch, and this is one of the scripture uh, verses it came from. Because here's what Solomon's Colonnade was. It, it's, it's, a, it, it's a place where the early church gathered. So when King Herod expanded the temple platform there on the Temple Mount, he constructed a covered colonnade. Uh, um, and what that is is basically a pavilion with with um, with uh, um, columns and like a, a covering overhead, and people would come in and 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 from all over and gather there and sing and and pray and and study scripture and all that stuff. So they were there at Solomon's Colonnade. It was a place of worship. So now you know where. Solomon's porch, or now the porch. Now you know why we call ourselves the porch, because it, it's referencing a place where people gather and worship the Lord. So that's, that's where it comes from. Then 
there outside this, the beautiful gate would have been the likely entryway to one of these uh, courtyards, maybe Solomon's colonnade as well. We're not exactly, people differ on what that, but we're not exactly sure where it was, but they think they kind of know. So the point is, is they were there outside Solomon's colonnade. And so when Peter, verse 12 uh, verse 11, sorry, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them to the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, who does, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? That's really important. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked them to murder, that asked that a murderer be released to you instead. You killed the author of life. Man, he's coming for them. He's like, it's just it's straightforward. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. And then verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. So Peter doesn't just perform a miracle. He takes an opportunity to explain where the miracle came from. And this is really, really important. He took the opportunity to preach the gospel. And you'll see this all throughout the book of Acts, that miracles, signs, and wonders, crazy things didn't just happen and said, okay, well, great, you, you're, you're physically whole, be on your way. No, there, was a, there is always or must always be a spiritual healing that comes alongside it, right? So this incredible thing happens. They heal this man, and then... He makes sure, listen, he makes sure that he points to Jesus. He makes sure in all of this that they don't mistake Peter and John for the people responsible for the miracle. It's really, really important. It's so crucial. He says, look, yes, this man has been made whole, but we did not do it. And technically, yes, God used them, and they had the gift of healing, and there's a there's an apostolic gift that was on them, given them by Jesus, right? That we probably don't see nowadays. But miracles do still happen, amen? Miracles do still happen. They aren't just relegated to the pages of Scripture in ancient times. The coolest thing about this is that this, this man expected them to throw money at him. But instead, they gave him something way more precious than that. So, first, let's define what maybe a miracle would be. The Bible refers to miracles, signs, and wonders as being markers that point to God. They're markers. They are all to be reflections of the power of God at work. They're never, ever, ever 
to be uh, given as, as uh, badges of honor to the people that God uses to bring about the miracle. Ever. David Hume, a, a famous Enlightenment philosopher in the 1700s, says that miracles are a violation of natural law. So if God is sovereign overall, including nature, because he is the creator of everything in nature, he is the only one who can transcend that natural law and cause a miracle to happen. So do miracles still happen today? Here's the question. Now we all, you know, I heard a bunch of yeses and amens when I said do miracles still happen? But there's no doubt that we are a room full of people that have some doubt as to whether that's completely true or not. Am I wrong? Why, if miracles still happen today, why don't we see more of them? Why don't we see crazy things happen like what just happened here? I've been on many, many mission trips in my life, and I've seen some crazy stuff happen. Good crazy. I've never seen someone from birth who, who couldn't walk, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. Have you? That's not to discourage us today. I'm saying if they do happen, then why don't we see more of them? See, there's a, a section of Christianity uh, that um, the miracles in the Bible, we see in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, specifically from the apostles like Peter and John, mostly refer to gifts of healings and tongues. But there's a section of Christianity that, that says that they don't occur anymore. It's called cessationism. It means the, the gifts, the sign gifts, have now ceased. They don't, they don't happen anymore. I am personally not a cessationist. <laughs> but, but I'm not totally... Uh, in the free-flowing charismatic camp either, right? You feel me? Where miracles can like occur on command or, or something like that. Now, I'm not really in either camp. Let's, let me just say, though, I firmly believe that they continue to happen today. I believe that miracles happen. And, and not just that they happened in the Bible. Of course they did. If you read your Bible you, and you don't believe that miracles have and did happen, then you don't believe the Bible. But the fact that our whole faith is firmly grounded and founded on the miraculous ought to give us a hint. It is, the greatest miracle is the incarnation of Christ. The greatest miracle is the birth of Jesus. Our whole faith foundation is miraculous. It is founded on the miraculous. So for you and I to cut the power cord on, on what God can do, First of all, it is a lack of faith on my part and, and our part. But maybe we're in, because the fact that we don't see a, a certain type of miracle, maybe we've discounted miracles altogether. Maybe we've discounted them all because we don't, we don't see uh, what we consider unbelievable things happen, right? We just see your every order every ordinary, everyday miracles instead. The greatest miracle is the incarnation of Christ, God becoming man, Emmanuel, God with us. So C.S. Lewis calls that Jesus' birth the grand miracle, the grand miracle. 
Theologian John Stott once said, there is no need to polarize between the structured and the unstructured, the traditional and the spontaneous. The church needs both. That means, look, there are, there are sections of the church that are believing for and praying for miracles day in and day out. Then there are sections that are kind of, uh, you know, more the frozen chosen. And we're just, you know, we're just going to sit here and, you know, whatever God wants to do, he'll do. But, you know, I, you know I, I can't, we're going to be more reserved. That, that, we need both. I like to think I'm somewhere in the middle, right? I think I said a couple weeks ago, I, I consider myself a Baptist-Methecostal. So, do miracles happen? Absolutely they do. They most certainly do. And they are, ha- listen, they are happening all around us. Miracles are happening all around us. Maybe we're too spiritually blind, or we're, we, are, we are conditioned by the Western Christian view of the church and how church ought to operate, the Christian church ought to operate inside and outside the walls. Maybe, maybe you and I are missing everyday miracles that are happening. Just maybe we're missing the everyday miracles. So what is the purpose of a miracle? Well, two things. The purpose of a miracle is to reveal the character of God. That's the first thing. A a miracle reveals the character of God. And the second thing is, is to show the power of God. To reveal the character of God, that's one. And to show the power of God. That's the purpose of a miracle. Notice, the purpose of a miracle isn't just to make someone who's sick well. Notice the purpose of a miracle isn't just to um, heap praise on the vessel of the person that God used to bring about the miracle. Why do miracles happen? What's why? Because so people's hearts can be open to the gospel. It's not just to make us gawk at what just happened. Like these people, they were in, in, one, in awe and wonder of what just happened. And what did Peter say? He didn't say, lift up a hand clap of praise. What did he do? He preached the gospel. He preached to them. And not only that, that their, their amazement, excitement must have kind of turned to horror when he started calling them out. Because there's, uh, there's no doubt that the people, some of the people who were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion were there present to watch this. And so he begins to call them out. It's pretty harsh, actually. He said, this, this happened not through me or through John. He said, this happened in Jesus' name. Jesus made this happen. The person that you crucified, the person that you put on a cross, the person that you despised and rejected, that guy, that guy. And so I'm sure that the amazement and the, 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 they're like, oh, I'm sure that began to turn into deep, deep, hopefully some deep conviction. The fact of the matter is, is the Jewish religious leaders aren't the only ones who put Jesus on the cross. You and I are guilty of putting him on the cross. Our sins put him there. So when I read this, I read it like as if Peter is speaking to me. See, Peter and John didn't just heal this guy's physical disability and then send him on his way. They were very intentional to point the man and everyone else watching who to Jesus. They made sure that everyone watching knew where the miracle came from. This is really important. They made sure Jesus got the credit, that he received glory. 
That's why miraculous events were often referred to as signs, because they were signs. They were like, you know, th- imagine a stop sign. It means to stop. It means stop. If you run it, you're either blind or you're careless. It's on you. The stop sign is there to point to the, 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 the warning that other vehicles are coming through, right? Stop. These signs were markers to point to the person of Jesus, always. They were meant to point back to God, not to the person that God used. So, see, in, in our culture, in our celebrity culture, what we do is we like to prop people up. We prop pastors up. We prop celebrities up. We prop worship leaders up. We prop uh, famous people. We love, to, we love to prop them up. As if they're not just people, right? Now, they may have gifts that you don't possess, but we give way too much credit to people. In the modern church, when the church is growing, guess who gets the credit? The pastors. When it's not growing, guess who gets the blame? The pastors, right? And the whole point of this is not to say, oh, don't blame me. Like, no, like, I'm just an individual that I, you, you and I are individuals that we desperately want God to work through us and in us, right? The fact of the matter is, I just want God to use me in some way, to bring about a miracle. Now, I may, I may never see a man get up off the ground that's never walked before. But you know what the greatest miracle that could ever happen is? The greatest miracle in our day? It could ever happen, and we see it all the time. We pass right by it, and we don't even so much as get excited about it. It's when someone surrenders to the grace of Jesus Christ and becomes a, a, a Christ follower who gives their heart to Jesus. There is, that is the greatest miracle that God performs nowadays, right now, and it could ever perform, other than, the, other than the incarnation and the resurrection. The greatest miracle is the transformed heart. That's it. Some of you, hopefully all of you, know that miracle. You, you have a, there's a miracle in you that says, I remember when I was 12 years old. I remember when I was 17 or 18 years old. I remember when I went to, on a Christmas weekend, and I met Jesus for real for the first time. And by the end of the weekend, I was a, I was a Christ follower. I knew I was different. I accepted Christ as my Savior. That is the greatest miracle that you and I can see, and yet we just pass over it. When, when, when someone gives their heart to Jesus, or when someone steps into the baptismal waters, and we clap, a good golf clap, and we're like, eh. But like something in, and I, it's me too, something in me, there's, there's, a, there's a missing excitement. There's something missing in me. When that doesn't move the needle in my life, when that doesn't, when that doesn't put me in a, in a, in a stratosphere of praise and, and thankfulness, and the God of miracles just worked another miracle. For me, and this is something that maybe will help you, all of us, is I, every time I forget the, the incredible nature of the miracle that God worked in my life, I just go back to when the miracle occurred. Now, you don't have to remember the day or the time or even the year, but you do need to remember the moment, right? I believe, listen, yes, being a Christ follower is following Jesus every day, but there is an initial step 
that takes you from lost to found, dead to alive, blind to now seeing. There is a moment, and maybe the angels didn't come down and sing. And when I was in my room at 16 and I accepted Jesus, the, the heavens didn't open up and start singing. But folks, I knew that my heart was different. Now, it took years for some of those actions to change. And, and, I'm, and God's still working on me. Amen. Like, we're never going to be. But there needs to be a moment, a miracle that happens that going from death to life. We are resurrected as well in Christ. And, and what we do, listen, we pass that miracle by every single day. When we, you know, when we've celebrated in here, man, I, I think, I think if we expect the miraculous, I think we'll be more appreciative of the miraculous when it occurs. I think, I think we'll erupt in praise like they do in heaven. But, but the problem is, is you and I are conditioned to behave and operate a certain way inside the walls of the church. Let's don't get too crazy now. Right? Let's don't, don't, don't let it get out of control. And the fact of the matter is, folks, we want the Spirit to be in control. If the Spirit of God takes over, I'm just fine with that. I don't know about you. I'm just fine with that. We want that every time we come in here. I don't want it, me or Shannon or someone to get up here and speak and not, be, and not speak under the Spirit's power. I hope, my hope is that that's happening correct right now. That's what I, we have prayed. The fact of the matter is, is that you and I are numb to the miraculous because it doesn't look like maybe some of these biblical miracles that we see. So the wonder, the wonder, which is the miracle, draws people in. But the word, the living word, transforms them. The wonder will draw people in. They'll get their attention. But the word is what transforms. The miracle itself doesn't transform anyone other than the, the, the person that the miracle is bestowed upon. Could you imagine this man's faith after he got up and walked for the very, very first time? And he could transfer that faith to all the people watching that would have been a revival breakout there, then and there. God doesn't perform miracles just so people can feel a temporary sense of awe. He does them so that people can experience an eternal transformation. That's what miracles are for. Listen to me, church. So miracles can and do happen today. They may not be as dramatic or sensational as some of the ones we've seen, uh, but, and I guarantee you those things happen. You ever heard of uh, someone who is battling stage 4 cancer? And they go in to get a, a doctor's report, and all of a sudden the cancer's gone? Completely gone. Someone coded on the operating table. My, my grandfather um, passed away several, several years ago. My mom's dad, he, he um, had a massive, massive heart attack. I was about 12 years old. And for the rest of his life, he lived 20 more years. And he lived with about 15% of his heart capacity working. Um, he, he was dead on the table, right? That, that, that was a miracle that he even survived that. And, and some of you have stories, personal stories. Some, there, there are, there's a room full of stories that if you just think for a minute, God has done the miraculous in your life. Some of you have battled illness and cancer. 
and other things. Depression. Thoughts of suicide. Marriage is falling apart. Family's falling apart. Addiction. Some of you are battling it right now. And I, I want you to know, miracles have happened and miracles do and will happen. But this is, this is the thing. They don't happen in my name or your name. What did, John, what did Peter say? This is, he said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And here's the key. In the name of Jesus. Sometimes that phrase doesn't resonate like it ought to. Sometimes the healing doesn't occur this side of eternity. So therefore, we, we, we assume God failed. It doesn't happen like we want it to. Sometimes the healing occurs with the believer leaving this earth and experiencing complete healing. Eternal healing. Which we'll all eventually experience one day in Christ. Amen? So even though God may, in, in his good pleasure, bring miracles to our physical bodies, God's ultimate aim is to bring spiritual healing to everyone. That is what God does. See, this is, what Peter, this is why Peter and John healed this guy. The physical need was addressed to uncover the deeper spiritual need. Listen, the physical need was addressed to uncover the deeper spiritual need. When we go on mission trips, we teach our students, when we, when we prep them for the mission field, when we go out, you know, we might hand them water or snacks or chips or something, but it always leads to a deeper conversation. Why are you here? Never forget, in, in last time we went to New Orleans, we're going back this summer, um, a, a fella asked me, why are you doing this? And I, oh, inevitably, we get that question, why? Why are you doing this? Or, or do, they think there's a catch. They think, you know, you, you want them to sign up for, you know, put your email right here in your text and you sign up for this text group. And, and there's no catch. And we get to explain to them in the best way we know how that we're there just loving on the city. We come in Jesus' name. We come in Jesus' name. Because me giving someone water or food or me paying someone's medical expense isn't going to transform them for eternity. Jesus is going to do that. But God using me in that way, God using you in, in maybe some small way can and will bring about a miracle in someone's life. It might take years. You might plant a seed in someone's life and it might take 20 years. Um, when, I, when I was a, 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 a teenager, God changed me. Uh, it was a radical transformation from freshman, sophomore year, halfway through my junior, senior year, I was, I was different. And, and, and my teammates, uh, my, my football teammates were all, it's like, what, what's, what's wrong with you? Like, you're di like absolutely. And I, I couldn't, I, I didn't have the words, but all I knew to do was say, look, I mean, it's just Jesus. Like, it's, oh, you, Jesus, you're one of those, you know. And, and I got, I endured a little bit of ridicule. Uh, many years later, about seven or eight years ago, one of my teammates who did some of the most harsh, like he was kind of came at me a lot for my faith, uh, found, tracked me down on Facebook, DM'd me, and, and said, I just want you to know, like, I gave you a hard time for your faith, but I want you to know a couple years back, I, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And part of the influence is I remember God, what God did in your life. 
And I, I, I remember watching, and this is not to, this is in no way like, again, I, I'll do like Peter did. This is all Jesus, right? But I pulled over. I was driving. I pulled over, and I just like wept. I just like ugly cried all over my steering wheel. Folks, is that not a miracle? I've seen students in this room give their heart to Jesus on the spot, whether it be Jesus' life weekend or Christmas or a mission trip. And I wept like a baby. And I wonder what's missing in me now to not be moved by the great miracle of someone's heart being changed. I wonder what's missing. Why does it not move me like it used to? Peter and John didn't heal this man on their own. The apostles were just vessels, as we all are. See, God alone is the great healer. And the miracle that may occur is totally and completely the work of God through the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. So, why does the name of Jesus bring, have power? Why does it hold power? Think about this. Why, when we speak, sing, pray the name of Jesus, why does that hold power? Why? Because the person of Jesus holds power. It's not some mystic, mystical thing that we just chant and stuff happens. No, we sing and, and, and it holds power, absolutely. You better be praying the name of Jesus over your, over your uh, children, parents. You better be praying in Jesus' name over their future. You may be praying in Jesus' name over their future spouse. You may be praying in Jesus' name over their, their, their career and their lives and, and, the, and the path that God has for them. Pray in Jesus' name over everyone and everything that you know and it's in your vicinity. Why does the name of Jesus hold power? I believe when we speak it, sing it, pray it out loud, demons get out. They flee. They're out of here. But over and over and over, we speak, sing, pray the name of Jesus. Out loud. Don't be shy. Out loud. I challenge you. Say and speak and pray and sing the name of Jesus out loud. And see what it does. It's not some mystical force. What it does is God comes near. It draws God near to the situation. Anytime Jesus' name is spoken in earnest from the heart, Sung, prayed, God listens, God bends his ear, and miracles begin to happen. Things begin to happen. That's not, a, that's not some ooh, like, uh, eerie thing. That is, that's, that's the truth of life. We speak, we sing, we pray the name of Jesus. Why? Because the name infers the person. The person of Jesus has power. So we speak the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we, trans, uh, uh, as we transition to a time of communion. Ask the servers and everybody helping with communion to come on up. And as, as people are coming forward, I want to remind you of something. That the greatest miracle that we can see happen in our time that we ought to be praying for, listen, is for someone to be transformed by the gospel. That's it. Are you with me? The greatest miracle that you and I can expect to see and should expect to see is a transformed heart. If God does other things, then, then, then glory to God. Amen? The gift of salvation, which is 
The spiritual healing of the heart. Listen, a person was lost and now is found. This is what God desires most. This is what Peter and John experienced in, in, the, in the third chapter of Acts. It's all about, it's not about the miracle. It's about the transformed heart of the listeners, the people that, that saw this happen. Maybe you've discounted miracles altogether this morning. See, when a person accepts Jesus as Savior, that is the greatest miracle that you and I could ever hope to see in our life. God wants to recover your expectancy for miracles. We need to pray for God to use us to bring about miracles in the lives of other people and in his name.